Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Welcome back to the channel. Happy and blessed Tuesday. And welcome back to the Welcome to Asgard podcast. We are tonight. Where are Where tonight? We're going to talk a little bit about some early numbers indicating Little Mermaid could be in some trouble. Could be in some trouble. Oh, we got trouble right here in Disney World, at least as far as the box office is concerned, with the major exception at this point being, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which this past weekend was able to hit the break-even point that I had set for the film. Again, 2.5 times the budget is my typical break-even point for all films, and that might be driving some people crazy. Some people may not understand it. Some people might. But ultimately, we look at the film and we see the film is indeed doing very, very well, especially in the domestic marketplace, especially in comparison to what is happening right now with Fast and Furious 10, where we have a bit of a mixed bag. And so we're going to talk about the Fast 10 box office, Guardian 3 profits, and the early numbers and early projections for the Little Mermaid film, which I unfortunately will be going to see this week as we are going to be talking about it on Friday Night Tights this week, and uh, yeah, Gary's making all of us watch it. Ah, so much love. So much love in my heart. But before getting further, though, please make sure to smash the like button, light up the fire button if you're watching over on Odyssey, and smash the rumble button as well on this, the 436th episode of the Welcome to Asgard podcast. Let's go ahead and say hello to some people in the chat. Uh, first, I want to say a shout-out to Kincaid Rumshki over on Rumble, who had messaged earlier, had commented earlier when the stream was live about how he is hosting family and will not be able to join the stream tonight. So if you're re-watching this back, Kincaid Rumshki, shout out to you, good sir. Thank you for always holding down the fort over on Rumble. Let's go ahead and say hello. So the earliest chats that I have available to me start back at 5 p.m. What's going on? Thomas says, Fast and Furious made less than $2 million this Monday. Uh, less than $2 million more than Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if that's a testament to Guardians or a detriment to Fast and Furious. Probably some of both. Yeah, I definitely think for Fast and Furious, it's a mixed bag. Um, but part of that mixed bag, right? That means there's some good, there's some bad. One of the really bad things, and it is really bad, is its domestic performance. This film is coming in underneath where Fast 9 came in. right? When you adjust those numbers for inflation, which, as you all know... Is, is one of my hobbies, uh, you, you recognize very quickly, okay, this film is not in a very good state, right? Even Deadline is talking about how it's 4% behind Fast 9's uh, numbers, and that, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. So ultimately, I, I think that it spells trouble domestically. That being said, you then look at the international sales, and you say, okay, a little bit of a better performance there, about $250 million plus there, coming in well over $300 million this past weekend. So again, a good start, but not a great start. And I would even say to say it's a good start is not altogether honest, right? Sometimes people only look at the overall total box office. They only look at the actual, you know, total uh, international worldwide numbers without actually bringing in context, without actually bringing in uh, those nuances that you have to look at when it comes to the, those numbers as, as they come in. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a mixed bag for sure. And I, I think it also definitely continues to point to why Guardians is, again, continuing to hold well. It had another very strong hold. And I remember a lot of people last weekend 
right? Myself included. I was surprised to see the hold as strong as it was for that film. I knew the word of mouth was strong. And when I saw the projections saying it would be around 50% of a drop, I said, oh, okay. I believe that based on what I'm seeing and based on what I'm hearing uh, as far as, you know, general reactions are concerned. But let's actually see if it's going to happen. And sure enough, Fast 10 actually did not perform well domestically. So some could then go on and further argue, well, Fast 10 is not real competition. But at that point, I think you're just kind of, you know, pulling pulling hairs, right? You're, you're really just not, uh, you know, taking in what is actually happening with Guardians, which is, hey, it, it's a success. It, it's making money. Master of Gaming, who is a member on the channel. Hello, good sir. Welcome back. Keely Chow, what is going on? Hail to you. Uh, says, how are you, Thor and Freya doing? Also, how was your vacation? Vacation was a lot of fun. We all had a blast. Baby Thor especially. Really loved being at the water parks. Um, at the water park and all the different slides. He he wanted to do all the different things that he possibly could. He didn't want to get out of the water, which became a problem from time to time. Uh, but, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah, if you've never done, it's the Great Wolf Lodge. Uh, I know there's several locations across uh, the states, but it's it's a lot of fun. I've never been before myself. An indoor water park. Great idea. Don't have to be in the sun. I'm a vampire. That's why I typically don't like water parks. I don't like uh, going to the beach because just like Anakin Skywalker, I don't like sand. It's cold and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. But I, that's why I typically have a bad experience when it comes to those water parks. This one was very, very well designed, very clean. And I didn't feel like I was swimming in, in a bunch of pee. If you've seen South Park, especially. Oh, the, the pee pee. Uh, Keila Chow then says, please pray for JC Sanchez, a.k.a. Monkeyhead15. I think he's actually been in the chat as, as, J, as JC Sanchez before. His family and his father, Daniel Sanchez. Daniel's currently in the ICU, has kidney liver problems. Absolutely will be praying for him and also for comics as well. It's always terrible uh, to hear about that, especially when any person loses a pet. Uh, having had many pets in my life and having, you know, two pets right behind me, <laughs> hearing the jingling on their chains, I know how hard that can be. So absolutely prayers going to to all of those people. And I ask the prayer warriors in the chat to also raise up your prayers for them too. Wayward Noodle, what's going on? Gmonkey76, hail. General Wingster, our pet troll, started things off spicy with, but family? <laughs> yes, it's all about family. Family. Yes, it's all about family when it comes to the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, though, again, that's not really enough these days for me. <laughs> you need a little bit more than that. I'm still not enticed to go see it. I might end up going to see it this week because I was actually looking through the plot description of Fast 9 and realized, oh, I had, I actually did watch Fast 9 uh, a couple years ago. I'd completely forgotten about it. That, that's where the franchise is now. It, it's, it's become a very forgettable franchise, and, and the films have gotten so crazy that there's no longer fun. I think I've mentioned this on previous streams where I enjoyed the first six because they were dumb fun, but now they're so dumb they're no longer fun is kind of the way that, that, I, that I view the franchise. I know a lot of people feel the same way too, right? With Fast 7 being the end point for a lot of people, um, especially once they started to try to do the spinoff, right? They tried to turn it into a further future franchise and Hobbs and Shaw was also just abysmal. Roman Reigns, the wrestler who can't wrestle or act, Showed off his non-acting talent. I remember talking about that film years ago. Crazy. I, I just, again, can't believe I actually saw Hobbs and Shaw. And I remember pointing out how there's a scene where Roman Reigns is in the background. And it's so clear he was given no direction or very little direction. And him, not really being an actor, just decides to like pick a couple things up on a table and move them around. Clearly not knowing what to do. And clearly having no actual impact. Like The decisions he made were just so 
worthless, like just were completely um, asinine, right, to, to the plot and did not actually do anything for what was going on behind the scenes at that time. Uh, but yeah, family. All about family. Shorty Short, what is going on? Laura, the Mother Major General story. Uh, Alice McCarthy, what's going on? Uh, he says, howdy. Oh, and how's it going? How's Thor? Baby Thor's doing great. Neck surgery in two days, getting the C3 and C6 fuse. I'll be praying for you, man. Watched an awesome movie last night called John Wick Chapter 4. Glad you were finally able to watch it. I know you've been dealing with a lot. But yeah, man, John Wick 4, so freaking good. I know that that is now available on, on demand. I don't know if it's just gotten onto demand or if it's been on for a while. It might have just started. I think I got an email about that earlier, actually, that it was on. It was available on demand. Great film, great film, a lot of fun. A little bit, a little long in the tooth, uh, and I definitely think that you do feel it to a certain degree, but for the most part, you don't. And for the most part, you're just having fun along the ride. And I can't wait to get the uh, physical media. I think the physical copy is going to especially come out in the next few weeks. I think. I hope. Orange Hair Reviews, who is one of the mods on the channel, make sure that you follow the rules. Don't spam. Don't be a jerk. We're a family-friendly channel here. And our chat is also very friendly. So if you're new, hey, say hi. We've got a great group of people. I would say the best community on the interwebs. And I mean that. But Orange Hat Reviews, thank you for being here and telling everyone how to get in touch with me. And if you have a comment or question, just put at Odin there, beginning at Odin. And that lets me know that you're trying to get my attention. And uh, helps me be able to, to sift through all the craziness. I got my screen set up earlier before the stream started, by the way. So we will not have the streamception black screen of death uh, boomerang that happened last time. And by the way, thank you everyone for understanding. Uh, not having a stream this past Saturday because of being on vacation. And hopefully if you were also watching Friday Night Tights, you had a lot of fun. I was driving and then spending time with family. Keck44, what is going on? Scott McKenzie, thank you very much for being a member for 11 months on the channel. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Uh, Laura, absolutely. Yeah, I... I <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's old school Odin doing some blue steel. And for, in fact, Laura, I believe, did you... Didn't... No, no. You didn't send me that. I picked up... Or maybe you did. I, 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 you've sent me so many things, Laura, I sometimes forget. What is what? I think, actually, I got a, a special collector's edition of Zoolander on Steelbook, and I think it came with the Zoolander hair. It was like the band. You would wrap it around your head, and then it would give you Zoolander hair. So that's me doing uh, Blue Steel. If you're a member, you get access to, to that as an emote. I haven't updated the emojis in so long. I just don't know how to make them. If anyone does, please contact me. Uh, General Wingster, I just appreciated this one when I was seeing it in the live chat. Orange Eye Reviews, we prefer the term ex-avocado. <laughs> Scott McKenzie says, Oh, nice to see Father Miller had your back. I don't know to what time you're referring to. I feel like he usually has my back uh, unless he's trolling me. But yeah, I love Father. Uh, we're both teachers, and so I think both of us are able to kind of, you know, uh, figure that out uh, pretty pretty quickly. Um, you know, we're able to, to always have each other's back, especially when it matters. Um, but yeah, much love to, to Father Christopher Miller. Hail to you, Father. J.S. Pena, ahoy, what's going on? Forever Sci-Fi, what is going on? Thank you for being here and for being a member. Carl says, oh boy, oh boy is right. Oh boy is right. Because things, things are, just ain't looking good. Ain't looking good for the Little Mermaid. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit once we get our intros out of the way. Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, how about a hockey player? What is going on? Father Luca, what's going on? 
How's it going on, Father Luca? Thank you very much for being in the chat. Ricky Bobby in the chat. What's going on? Ben Dowdy in the chat says, Hi, folks. How is it going? Out there says, Having to watch Little Mermaid sounds more painful than my surgery. Yes, it does in many respects, though I will definitely grant in reality, no. Clearly, the surgery is going to be worse because... You know, my experience of the two hour and 15 or so minute film of the Little Mermaid live action, so-called live action when most of it's animated. Why are we still calling these things live action anyway? Uh, is is bound to be terrible, but it's only two hours and 15 minutes. Whereas I have no idea how long your surgery is going to be and then the recovery after. So, again, much love going out to you, brother. But I, I appreciate the kind words. J.S. Pena says, just checked out Max. I have mixed thoughts. Oh, you're talking about the, the rebrand. Yeah, today is the day, everybody. HBO Max is no longer HBO Max. They've dropped the best name recognition, right? One of the biggest names in order to go with the generic term Max. I think that's the dumbest thing that they could have done marketing-wise. And I'm not much of a marketer. Like, I marketer, I, I you know, I have no expertise in the area. But just to my mind, I think about HBO and I think that is such a rich pedigree. And I'm sure that there's someone in marketing who's going to try and say, well, HBO has always been uh, associated with older adult content, uh, with The Sopranos, with Game of Thrones, etc. And we want to make it a platform that is able to appeal to everybody, a broader audience. It's like, okay, I, I get that. But why then drop HBO from the name? That's just where I get lost, right? When you call it Max, people are immediately going to say, wait, like a person Max? Like I was watching on Max last night. And they're going to be like, what are you even talking about? Not to mention there are a plethora of other things that are connected with Max <laughs> as a name that just, again, kind of go against exactly what they were trying to go with at least what it per is perceived as to why they were going in that direction. It's just a very, it's a very bad move. Um, I think that as far as the, the logo goes, it's fine, but I thought the HBO Max logo was, was just as fine. Um, and there was a little issue getting on the, the, I think the platform itself still has a little bit work that could be done. It's not nearly as, as clean or as efficient, you know, it works once you're playing something, but everything in the menus is still that if you're going to focus on anything rebranding, not really the best thing. I don't know of anybody who was like, you know what, I'm going to sign up, but only when they fix that name, because I cannot buy something called Max, <laughs> just uh, or it has HBO in it. Like, I just don't know anyone who would be waiting for that to happen. Alzarelli, Fast 10 will pull through because it's all about family. I, I, I appreciate your optimism, Alex, but uh, it's not going to do that domestically. I, I can I can say that unequivocally, that it, it's not going to show up domestically. It, it's got nothing going for it as far as any indication that it's going to have a strong second weekend hold. It's going up still against Guardians Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is continuing to perform very well. Uh, in fact, we'll look at the Monday to Monday numbers, as, as Thomas had mentioned earlier in the chat. But we'll also look into the fact that even though Little Mermaid is not looking like it's going to do all that hot at the box office, it's still going to come in at number one. And it's still likely going to come in over what Fast and Furious made in its opening weekend. And what does that mean for us? Well... That means ultimately Fast 10 is, is only hope is with the international box office. And though we could look at China, China, where it's made about $77 million. We're looking at $100, $150 million there by the end of its run. Uh, upwards of highest being $200 million, but probably closer to $100, $150 million. That's going to account for at least probably, what, a third, a fourth of its international total. So you have a film that might be able to get to $600 million. 
might be able to get to $700 million worldwide. But the vast majority of that, probably, again, we're looking at maybe 150 million tops for the total domestic for the entire run of Fast 10. So that, that would be a vast majority of its profits coming from international sales. And as we all know, international sales account for much less of a percentage share of box office returns. That all being said, even using something as a, being a more fair metric, right, of, of my typical break-even point, not taking into account the much heavier influence and much heavier returns from those international markets, even with the best-case scenario, it would still not look good. And we'll, we'll look at those numbers. Uh, Laura says, just got a fast 10, and holy cow, Momoa was more cringy than Brie. Now, that's saying something. Uh, Zaid, what's going on? Welcome back. General Wingster, Odin has a fear of taking off his shirt. Hey, that's actually, you know what, General Wingster, that, that is not completely wrong. I, I was wearing a swim shirt. I was wearing a swim shirt. Uh, that's more, I think, a, more of modesty than anything else. I don't know. I've just never understood that. I've never understood people. And this goes for guys and girls where it's like, look at me. It's like, what? what? No, <laughs> that's not the point of this. What in the world are you doing? Uh, Abomination, what's going on? Hanging out over on Odyssey. I appreciate the correction of he put the splat emoji first and then put <laughs> and then put the fire. Thank you again for lighting up that fire over on Odyssey. Abomination says, I just got here, so don't know what I missed. But HBO Max changing to Max is much more sensible than Facebook's brand changing to Meta. Now, that's a fair point. Because at least you could say, hey, at least Max was in HBO Max. Whereas with Facebook, you're like, Meta? Though I would argue back on that only because the Facebook Meta stuff has been so public. Because so many people still use it, especially older people still use Facebook. A lot of them probably were aware of it. Whereas with the HBO Max, Max stuff, it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's as big of a story. I don't know. Carl, amazing what we do for our children. It is. It truly, truly is. Uh, Miss Minnesota fan says, we have a great Wolf Lodge here. Nice. It's fun. Ryan Dole says, Great Wolf Lodge is great. Since I live in New York, I frequent the one in Canada and have family near Atlanta, and I want to go to the one you talked about. Yeah, again, it was it was a lot of fun. It wasn't overcrowded. I think we going the weekend prior to uh, the the upcoming uh, Memorial Day weekend, and I'm sure that is, I'm sure it'll be crazy there. But yeah, it overall was a pretty good experience. Not the greatest thing, but still very solid. Uh, let us see. Father Luca says, that's all for me. Stay good, not only ontologically, and stay safe. I get that reference. <laughs> I appreciate the philosophy, Father. I want you to stay good in all of the variations. Uh, Scott McKenzie, Fast 9 was silly, and bad folks are saying 10 is okay and fun. I, I just, I don't get it. Asgardi, of course, Fast Saga is my favorite franchise. Of course it is. Joey Horn, what is going on, good sir? Thanks for being here. I should be getting a box in soon to ship you... The the John Wick trilogy. Don't worry. I still have it right next to my desk. I'm just waiting for a box. Uh, let's see. Laura says, in honor of Fast 10, I'm having a barbecue with family. So I'll have to split at some point. The wife only cooks meat, so I got to make sides. Oh, got to get that side of corn. Uh, let's see. Master of Gaming. Odin Little Mermaid remake flopped in China. I wish other countries would take note. And yeah, uh, stole my thunder a little bit there. But yeah, let's talk about that. Our first story tonight, Disney coming out with another live action remake of a classic that nobody asked for. I think that's where we really need to start with this is we can talk about as this headline from the Post Millennial mentions that, OK, yeah, there was the race swapping of Ariel. We can talk about that. We could also talk about the 
incredibly atrocious and very clear marketing tactic that they tried to use in China. You'll notice that the image here on the left, you have the uh, American, maybe even other countries poster. And on the right, you have the China poster. And you'll notice that the skin color of the mermaid is not very clear on the one from China. In fact, I would actually say there's actually an even worse thing going on here. And it's not them trying to hide the, the, the race of the actress. It's the fact that they tried to make it look like Avatar. Does anyone else not see that poster and think, okay, that looks like Avatar Way of Water. Okay, that has the same hue and the same tone uh, of the Avatar franchise. So it's like, do they think that the people of China are just idiots? Do they think that they're morons, that they're not going to recognize that, that they're not going to be able to see? Honestly, yeah, General Winkster, who just said in live chat, you were reading my mind, man. Yeah, James Cameron going to sue somebody. He probably should, because I definitely think there's some brand. Uh, now, to be fair, Disney owns the, the distribution rights for uh, Avatar 2, so I'm sure they also own the marketing rights, and therefore we could look at this and say that there's borrowing from it, but it's so clear, right? It's so clear what they're doing. But even without all of that, right, all of those things we can talk about and we can mention, but the first and foremost problem that this movie has is that no one wanted or desired or asked for a remake, let alone a live-action remake. Are there going to be some people that want to go see it? Sure. Are there going to be some people who are excited to go see a quote-unquote live-action remake? Sure. But can anyone actually look at this and actually think to themselves, oh man, you know what the world needs right now? You know what movie I want more than anything else? I want them to go back. I want them to retell a story that was perfectly told in 80 to 90 minutes. This one being two hours plus. And I want them to remake it live action. And I want them to do all the CGI crap that they've been doing for decades, it seems. More recently, over the last 10 years, especially with their quote-unquote live-action remakes. So that's where you really start, I think. Okay, no one asked for this movie. And that is clear, at least based in what's happening in China. So the main report from this, and again, obviously Post-Millennial has a, you know, ha has its own uh, goals, it has its own vision, and so they're going to focus on the race swapping. And again, I, I think, honestly, I think that's low-hanging fruit. That's why you really haven't heard me harp on that a whole lot. You've not heard me focus on that. A whole lot because to me that's just the, one of the smallest problems that the movie has. I, I mean, there's so many other things that I would want to talk about and point to before that. One, the movie's existence, but also even past that, you go. I would then at that point after that go to the CGI, and then I would go character design, and again a myriad of other things. But here is the news, and I do think that it's also slightly misleading. But again. We will wait and see. This is a little new Little Mermaid movie starring, as it says here, black actress Halle Bailey. Again, I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I've always been of the mindset of, no, we should just talk about people as people. Starring Halle Bailey. Or Haley Bailey. Is it Haley Bailey or Halle Bailey? I don't know. I don't know much about this young actress. As the main character, Ariel, has a Chinese poster that obscures the character's race. As the film is on track to flop in the communist-led country. Now, that is a fact. And that is something that I do harp on, because I do think it's important that this film, though it will still be giving 75% of its tickets and ticket sales to the Chinese Communist Party, is also still getting 
released and is still giving money. It won't be a lot of money, but still giving money. And I, I call them out. According to comic book resources, uh, so take that with a grain of salt, but I've seen a lot of people reporting this, the film is likely to be Disney's worst performing Chinese release this year and has only earned 13000 in pre-sales. Now, some might be saying, okay, what does that mean, though? What does it mean? $13,000 in pre-sales. What do pre-sales actually look like in China? In comparison, Cruella, the last Disney live-action adaptation hit Chinese theaters. By the way, completely forgot that Cruella even got a theatrical release. Crazy. Gross $1.6 million upon opening, right? Uh, and Mulan grossed $307,000 in one day of pre-sales and $23 million. Now, interesting, they don't really talk about the uh, the opening day or the pre-sales for Cruella here. So the only real comparison we have is Mulan. All right, so Mulan, $307,000 in pre-sales led to $23 million. So I think what they're trying to do is saying, okay, if we can then adapt that to look at $13,000 versus $307,000, we can make a guesstimate that this movie is not going to make a whole lot of money in that country. But here's the thing. Even without this poster, and that's why it's even more egregious that Disney actually does this, the money, they would not have made that much more money. Like, I can't honestly think that someone, or it's hard for me to imagine, someone at Disney saying, okay, we know that the Chinese audiences don't like people of a certain race. Like, that, for starters, like, that to me is just such a bizarre concept that someone would actually think and say that out loud. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Disney's actions seem to indicate that it does happen there, that they are focused on that, that they are obsessed with that. Um, I think that they've made that pretty clear in their own intentions. But it's just insane that, that, that anyone would even have that thought. Because it's so clear when you're looking at these posters saying, wait a minute, why, why is it that the character is being so obscured here? And why is it that we can see a track record of that? But also, it's, it's not going to make much of a difference. And it really doesn't have a lot to do with the race of the actress. Because keep in mind... The film itself doesn't look good. The film itself looks trash. And it doesn't matter whether you are from China, whether you're from Japan, whether you're from the United States, to have seen and understood that. Because it's not true that films that feature an African-American or a, you know, or a black actor, as, again, sometimes we're forced to say, we know that that's not a reason why people don't go to see those movies in China. Because look at what Black Panther did in those countries. I, it, it, that's even harder, I feel, to, <laughs> to really hide um, as far as a fact of, of, of the casting of a movie, right? Now, those may not have been the highest grossing in that country, but still, did a heck of a lot better than this. But it is an early indication, right? It is early sign. These are the earliest numbers that we really have at this point for the film. So $13,000 in pre-sales. And the comparison they give is Mulan did 307,000 and then had a 23 million dollar opening. So what can we suspect for China's numbers for this movie? Maybe lucky for it to be in the single digits. Talking there about millions. So you're looking at what a sub 50 million dollar film in that country. You then go ahead and say, "Okay, but what does that actually mean for the overall box office?" All right? Well, firstly, I do want to point out so we are on the Wikipedia page. We don't have a budget yet. All right. By the way, interesting that Lynn manuel Miranda is a producer on this film. He is a producer on this film. Uh, the music is still by Alan Menken. However, I would not be surprised if 
maybe there were some adaptations or some I saw that clip of the Aquafina rap or whatever the heck it was that she was singing. Wouldn't be surprised if that if that was coming from Lin Manuel Miranda or at least he was you know there as a you know as a resource to help. But what we also notice is that no budget has actually been reported yet for this movie. Now, what then can we gather from this? Well, first off, let's go and look at the long-range forecasting, all right? So the most recent update, and this will update over the next couple of days. So if you're watching this uh, in the future, this will have probably updated. But they're projecting the film to get somewhere between 90 and $112 million in its opening weekend with the holiday, so through Monday, getting upwards of 115 to $143 million. Now, do I think it's going to hit these numbers? Personally, I don't see how it does. Does that mean that it's not going to? No. Because audiences are clearly going to see whatever it is that they want to go see. And the Walt Disney brand, though tarnished and negatively impacted by their recent, you know, delving into politics and identity politics and everything that they did in Florida, which I honestly do think had a major impact on films like Lightyear and Strange World, I think in this movie have a little bit of an advantage because this is a much more well-known property in Little Mermaid, right? But also, I look at these numbers and think to myself, okay, you're going to have those people showing up for sure, but general audiences? I don't know. Most of what I've seen as far as the conversation about this film has not been very positive, right? Even the people that are willing to allow or to not have as much of an issue with some of the decisions that they've made in the casting... Even those people have said, why are they even making this, right? I use the example of my wife. She is so uninterested in a lot of the stuff that we talk about. She, she doesn't like going into politics or, or talking about those types of things. But for her, she's like, look, I have as just as much little interest, probably even less interest than you would have or anyone else would have because she starts off with that very first fact. Why is this film even being made? Why is why are they even adapting this in the first place? And this clear money grab opportunity that they are also clearly not really spending a lot of time and effort on. You know, you can say, oh, but they're going to spend hundreds of million dollars. How can you say that it's not much of an effort? Well, look at the trailers. Look at the visual effects. They don't look good. They look really trashy. And we know they can do amazing things. I have my problems with Avatar, but one of the things that I'm always going to admit when it comes to the first and second is that the visual effects are very well polished. Now, I don't think the second film is actually nearly as polished as the first film. I think that basically the first film was pretty consistent throughout. Second film, I think there were some scenes that were better than others, but ultimately pretty well done. You're not really seeing that. Look at the design, right? Not just, not again, not just the actual CGI, but even the design, even the character design uh, for, for Sebastian. I look at that, I'm like, what in the world screams Sebastian about this character? The voice? Is that all you have? Is that all that you're going to be going to work with here? It just, it doesn't make any sense. So I look at these numbers and I think, okay, it could. It's possible. And I do think it's going to make more than what Fast 10 made. But then again, Fast 10 is the 10th film in a massive franchise that has been going downhill since Fast 7. The box office even shows that much. Whereas with this movie, it starts off with being a film that most people say, eh, why does it even exist? Why, why do we even have this in the first place? The overall domestic total for it is $271 to $379 million. Okay, well, what does that mean? Right? Well, let's go ahead and compare this film. All right, so it's expected to have a total box office, a total domestic 
of 271 to 379. Well, let's compare this to the other live-action films that got a full theatrical release. So we're leaving out Cruella. We're leaving out uh, Cinderella, since that one's a little bit too far away. But of the more recent live-action remakes, and I always like to put that in quotes because most of them have so much CGI, it's it's hard to say that they're, they're really live-action. Lion King, they even have to admit, yeah, it's, it's, it's just all CGI, so it's not really live-action. But they tried to make it look real, and that was one of the main problems. But all these films, look, $620 million domestically for Lion King, $405 million for Aladdin, $587 million for Beauty and the Beast. This film is then expected to be one of the lowest total domestic box office results for any live-action Disney film. And in fact, let's go ahead and try to confirm this fact. Let's go ahead and pull up Cinderella, the live-action, which actually is, is one of the few that I actually enjoyed. In fact, it was the film that my wife and I went on our first date was to that one. So I appreciate it a lot. But let's look and see. Live-action Cinderella. Okay, so even adjusted for inflation, and again, this is using their calculations over at the numbers, that film made $249 million domestically. Now, this was when they were also starting to put these live-action remakes out. I think also I don't have Peach Dragon up here, but again, I have as many as I need at this point to really make the case and to make the point, right? So this film is going to do better opening weekend, most likely, versus Cinderella. But then that $249 million is interesting because, okay, so this film might slightly make more than Cinderella. If the film then also is coming in very, very low, is coming in very, very low in China, which is ultimately where a lot of the money Disney relies upon for these big, massive billion-dollar films, right? $1.8 billion for Lion King, $1.1 billion for Aladdin, $1.4 billion. It doesn't seem to be happening. And so if all of those other markets see similar low performances, that would mean Little Mermaid has to do well domestically. And if the projections right now are indicating, and this is, again, 21% up opening weekend, 18% up for their total domestic. So it would be fascinating to watch these numbers as they come in. If this movie comes in underneath these projections, if we see the film opening to 85 to 90 getting a total domestic of around $300 million, 250 to $300 million. We might see this film, what, make somewhere between 400, 400 and $600 million? Well, let's also, before getting back to the chat, look at these budgets. All right, Cinderella, when you adjust for inflation, it started off being around a $100 million film. Now it's about $117 million adjusted, 186 for Beating the Beast, 207 207 for Aladdin, 296 million adjusted for Lion King. I think for Little Mermaid, we see a minimum of $200 million. Bare minimum. That puts its break even point around 500 million. So even in a decent scenario for Little Mermaid, it breaks even, makes a little bit of profit. There is a chance that this film flops, though. And if these numbers from China are any indication, and I'm going to always especially when it comes to numbers from China in any film, in any release, you always want to take it with a grain of salt. But if these numbers are an indication, and if we do see them come in underneath, if we do see films like Guardians of the Galaxy actually get a lot more love over the holiday weekend, and the word of mouth on that film has been great, the early reviews for Little Mermaid have not been stellar. E even the critics 
are not fully behind this movie. Is it going to find an audience? I don't think so. What say you? All right, back into the chat. It's 7.09 in the chat where I am at 7.36. As I uh, always like to remind everybody, I do fall 20 to 30 minutes behind in the chat. So do be patient. No need to spam. But starting off over on Odyssey, Abomination hanging out over there says, I think the Chinese poster is made super dark, suggesting the underwater world is terrible place to live and the beam of light is the surface, which is the only hope for a happy ending. Such an odd choice since the first half of the movie should show that everyone's happy under the sea. Great point. Abomination then added on saying, well, Gary is going to force everyone to watch Little Mermaid, so we will have plenty of opinions on the music and whether or not the rap song is a part of it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's been one of the positive things I've said. The only positive thing, because I'm not a complete, you know, negative Nancy on this stuff. One thing that I can say is that Halle Bailey's voice is good. She can sing. Nothing, nothing wrong with her singing voice. Uh, the laugh. I can also say this. Melissa McCarthy, I, I've kind of gotten a little bit too much of her. She, she's very much that character actress that unfortunately is now typecast. She, she's kind of put herself and she's uh, put herself into a box, it seems. But I will say the laugh that she gives, that is Ursula. I, and I, So I will give her that. I will say, hey, kudos to you. If, if all you did was work on that laugh, having known and seen nothing from them else of the movie so far, hey, you got that laugh down at least. So again, those are definitely some positive elements I could point out. And I'm sure some of their voice acting might be good too. But Beauty and the Beast, I think, was also a great example about how even their voice acting casting isn't always <laughs> on point. Oh, man. Anyway, let's get back to the YouTube chat. General Wingster, look, Odin, listen. We retool Fast 10 to have Momoa shirtless in every scene. If he resists, we simply tell him we know where the bodies are hidden. After that, profits, Odin, profits. You, you might be onto something there. Obviously, we know that shirtless Momoa does bring in money. It's definitely not good films. Looking at you, Aquaman. <laughs> that movie did not make money because it was good. Because it was not. However... We could definitely say that women showing up to that movie to see Jason Momoa. Okay, I could see that. <laughs> that that one makes sense to me. But yes, great. It's a brilliant idea, Wingster. Kili Chow, there is a joke that you're one of those Catholics who watched Fast 10 because of family. <laughs> I have not actually seen it yet. I, I might see it, but I, I've been very open about how I gave up, uh, as far as good faith effort, to keep up with the series that stopped after seven ever since then i've had to drag myself to to watch them uh miss minnesota hockey fan going to finish watching mission impossible movies this weekend been liking all of them except the second one yeah and i think honestly that that's about where you're going to be for the rest of the series everything after that gets so much better the first one i think is solid second one is not good there's a lot of things i like in it but not because they're good it's it's more because they're they're just so silly, and it, remind, it just reminds me of some of the earlier years of me watching films, because that film came out um, in theaters when I was starting to, like, you know, start watching movies on my own. I, I honestly forgot even when the second Mission Impossible film came out, but I feel like I was a little bit younger when it did. So I have memories with that, but the movie's terrible. The movie's not good. Everything else, though, is, is fantastic, you know, especially... Once you hit Mission Impossible 4, once you hit Ghost Protocol, ugh. 
I think Ghost Protocol might be my favorite of the the later films. Uh, three is is fine. Three was a good return to form, but four is just takes it to another level. General Wingster, to all the newcomers in the chat, I will throw dog poo at you for one week. <laughs> oh boy. Shorty Short says, I think I screenshot the picture. Okay. Gotcha. Did you you screenshot? Did you send it somewhere? I need context. <laughs> I think I probably did get it too. I do fall behind. Uh, Scott McKenzie says, the pineapple post. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, that was more fun. That was more funny, uh, seeing the image. Uh, for those that are on social media, Father Christopher Miller found it was a menu and uh, to have to have pineapple on your dish, it was like $70, something like that. It looked like it was a misclick. Uh, Mission Possible 2 was in 2000. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? Wow. I would have been in middle school. So actually, that was before I started going to the theater all the time. Did I actually... I feel like I remember watching that film in a theater. And maybe I did. I was in middle school, so that would have been a film that that a middle school kid would have thought was cool to watch. If I didn't watch it at... If I didn't watch it in a theater, I definitely watched it at home when it became available. Uh, Master of Gaming, using those emotes. Uh, Jace the Pop Culture uh, Vandal, what's going on? Hail to you. We'll talk about indie probably more when we get closer to its release, so probably next week. But... Yeah, it's not looking good. It's definitely not looking good for that film. Uh, Laura says, in Fast, Brie had 26 earrings on one ear. So weird. Ah, that's just tacky. Jess Pena, I agree. Why the such and such would they change the name? Exactly. Miss Minnesota, Miss, Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, just calling it Max is lame for a lot of reasons. Alice McCarthy, I'm pleased with Max, but they left out Shark Week content. Well, that's silly. Why would they do that? Carl, haven't watched HBO Max in years. I'd say decades. Well, that's impossible because HBO Max has only been around for, what, a few years? <laughs> it hasn't even been around for that long. Uh, I guess maybe even just mean HBO in general. General Wingster, that just sounds like modern marketing. Keeping a name for brand recognition and make money? Nah, we're too stupid to do that. Yeah, so we'll choose the most generic name that has very little to do with it. It, it kind of reminds me about when Teespring... Just change its name to Spring. It's a, it's so funny because if you still go to the site, Teespring is still like a part of its, like at least they have, they at least they weren't, they weren't dumb enough to do away, like have no connections with Teespring whatsoever, like trying to force their audience, trying to force their user base to to embrace it. But like that one too, I'm like Spring.com. It's like that that can mean so many other things. That can mean so many other things. Why would you choose that of all the things? Uh, General Wingster, but Odin, I want to see all that body love. No! Uh, Laura, Brie had a fight scene in an ugly blue pantsuit with sneakers with spikes on them. I think I remember seeing that one in the trailer. Oh my goodness. The suit, at least. Oh, oh, Brie. Oh, Brie. Great Wood, what's going on? Mike Jackson, what's going on? Yeah, General Wingster, going back to that poster, definitely. Carl, gee, are they, are they racist very much in China? Again, I honestly think Disney is much more racist than China is because that is Disney saying we don't think you're going to be as impacted by our standard poster that we're going to use pretty much everywhere. So we're going to make your we're going to make a poster unique to your market and hide certain facts and certain details. Uh, again, 
I think that says more about Disney than it does about China. Logan5, what is going on? General Wingster, we need to save our redheads. It is true. They, they have gotten attacked in so many different ways. Uh, Miss Minota Hockey fan, so much wrong with this movie already. Yeah, seriously. Again, even before you get to any of the standard things people talk about, there's already so much wrong with, with Little Mermaid. Nick, uh, Nick Braun says, Ariel is a strong and independent mermaid who don't need no man. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard about how... Because I haven't really watched the trailers with that much attention span. I just don't want to waste my brain cells on that. But, yeah, aren't they also... Like, again, that to me is a bigger issue. Aren't they also trying to do away with one of the primary story plots? Which is the love and the romance between her and Prince Eric? I, again, that that to me is a bigger problem than than with who they cast. Your average patriot nerd, what is going on, Carl? Doesn't Disney only get twenty percent? Yeah, about twenty five percent of the box office in China. Yeah, they get barely anything. That means millions upon millions of dollars go to the Chinese Communist Party every single year. Uh, Magnus, Magnuson, what's going on? Your average patriot nerd, hail to you. Uh, let's see, Miss Minnesota says I don't like. Would they? I don't, I don't like what they did to Prince Eric. Not making him the hero is unforgivable. Yeah, exactly. And here's the other thing, too. Remember that you can't have... Anyone that would say they had a problem with the traditional story of how he saves the day are the ones who clearly didn't watch the movie or at least didn't pay attention because what happens in the very beginning of the movie? Well, that's right. Prince Eric gets caught in a storm. Prince Eric is about to die and who saves her who, who saves his life oh wait that's ariel ariel saves his life without ariel he would have died in the very beginning of the movie it it only makes sense then for her to save him fall in love him to find out about her fall in love and then oh she saved him now he saves her it's a mutual exchange it's what true love is Again, this does not surprise me at all from Disney because they don't want to have any of these concepts. They don't want to have true love in their film. They want to have independence. They want to have uh, autonomy, right, as as virtues. But by doing so, they sacrifice, sacrifice, right? They, they sacrifice the very concept of what true love is, right? This, this give and take, the self-sacrificial love. As the theologians say, as as Saint Benedict, sorry, as Pope Benedict Sixteenth, uh, rest in peace, said, right, describing it as agape, right, and those obviously have been used a plethora of times prior to him, but right, agape, right, the self-sacrificing love, right, not seeking oneself, but seeking the other, the seeking the good of the other. That's what the original film had. And yes, am I am I overanalyzing and giving way too much credit to a '90s live action, sorry, an '80s or '90s, um, late '80s, early '90s? Uh, animated film in Little Mermaid? Sure. Is it still there? Yeah. And, and they're stripping that away. That's why it's such a big problem. And that's why I have such an issue with it because it's, it's similar to what they tried to do in the Record Ralph movie, right? Record Ralph 2, specifically. What do they try and teach kids in that movie? They tried to keep teach kids, it doesn't matter who gets hurt. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. Leave everything else behind. Leave all your friends, all your family, anyone who relies on you, leave them behind. It's all about you. That's why that movie 
was awful. That's why I, I trashed that film so much. What they seem to be doing in this movie, now they're also going after love. I have a problem with that. And again, not the romantic, you know, lovey-dovey, but real, true love. All right, let's see. Hardwick. Multiple people who saw Indy 5 at cons have leaked the full plot. I've also contacted two of them, and they answered my questions. Yeah, I saw your uh, your postings on the Discord server. Um, it, it basically, just it sounds like a throwaway film. That's what it, it sounds just, again, like a film that no one asked for and that no one really wants, and I, I don't think anyone will ultimately see a whole lot. Kimberly G. Howdy, Odin Mods and Chat. What's going on, Kimberly G? Thanks for being a member. Gerald Wingster, run that Shane O'Mac theme. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. Dang right. Miss Minnesota, I don't think the guy who plays Eric is good looking. I'll let you be the expert on that. Titan, what's going on? Trim the Sage, what is going on? We got the 199 hanging out in the chat. What's going on, peeps? By the way, Wayward Noodle, I'm going to get to your soup in just a second. Miss Minnesota fans also repping the 199. Master Gaming, Odin Fast 10 opened less than Fast 9. Fast 9 released during the pandemic. Yep, that, that is another point. And I'll, I'll bring that up when we uh, talk about the Fast and Furious franchise properly. If I do want to try to get to y'all's comments. Let's see. Your average favorite nerd. I hope this movie flops harder than a dead fish. It looks like it will. Hardwick, Chris Gore, and Alan have seen The Flash and gave their thoughts. They both think it's the best DC movie since Wonder Woman, but Chris Gore was more critical of Ezra Miller's performance. And again, I'm not saying I don't trust or believe any of those people who have seen the film early or who gave it a positive reaction. I just, I, I, when I say I don't believe it, I'm not calling into question their honesty. I'm just, I'm just knowing that if you are so used to garbage, right? If you're so used to crap, if you get even a slight glimpse of something good, or if there's something in a film that you have a lot of, of love for, I would not be surprised if a lot of the things they really liked about the film were the additions of the Michael Keaton Batman, the focus on Michael Keaton Batman, whatever that might be. Again, that's speculation on my part, but I just, everything that I've seen from the DC universe has not ever really indicated what I would describe as something good. You know, there's never really been a good film. Shazam was the best they had, and look what they did in Shazam 2. They lost the plot. Uh, Miss Minnesota fan, I don't think Mermaid will make a billion. It definitely won't. I I definitely think, yeah. I, I, again, especially, we can say that with some surety because if it's doing that poorly in China, and it would, it's a, it's the kind of movie that would need decent money there to have any chance. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see the pathway. Now, I'm always of the mindset that we have to actually get data. And that's why the early data that we have, we have very little, only $13,000 worth of data. That's not a whole lot. Once we actually get those Thursday preview numbers, once we actually get those, those opening weekend numbers especially, and as you all know, most importantly, when we get that week one to week two drop off, then we'll be able to, to have a thing. Uh, Peter Parker, dude, I appreciate you, but please calm down on the questions, man. I love Peter Parker. But oh my goodness, I'm just looking at the live chat right now. I'm like, how many questions is that now? <laughs> anyway, uh, over on Odyssey, Abomination says, I'm not sure how relevant it is, but somewhere in the early 2000s, it felt like all corporations were changing their logos, looking more basic and lazy. There were memes made comparing logos past and current. Wonder if there is a new wave of corporations, if this is the new wave 
of corporations redoing their stuff to look basic and lazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks a lot more standardized, right? Yeah, um, it, it's almost as if they're taking something that has so much detail to it, right? You're taking an image. Uh, for some reason, the first thing that pops into my head is anyone who has ever seen the image of the horse comparing... I know I've, it's been used to describe the comparison between Lord of the Rings trilogy to the Hobbit trilogy to compare uh, the church uh, pre-Vatican II to the church post-Vatican II, where it starts off looking really, really crisp and really, really nice and a lot of detail. And then as you move along, it starts to look like a, a four-year-old drawing. I'm sure you've all seen that before in some some context. But I, I think that that's what we could also look at here with these logos is that, yeah, they've become so standardized, they become soft. And I mean that visually, right? As Whereas before you had much more detail, you know, much more, I hate to see, hate to use the word nuance there, but that's what it is. And yeah, I don't think that's a good thing. And don't forget that Eric found out that she comes from fish people. And instead of being a bigot, he was the ultra inclusive Chad who accepted them as extended family, unless I'm remembering wrong. No, I've not seen the films past that, but... I remember in the first movie, yeah, you, you have, I I think you even have, if not a handshake, then at least acknowledgement between the father and husband, like the father and to-be husband. Yeah. But we, we can't have any of those family values in our movies anymore. At least not Disney. Uh, Miss Minosaka fan, all of Ariel's sisters are be <laughs> being different races makes no sense. Yeah, and again, what's the number one response you'll get to that? It's a movie, okay? It's a fantasy. Me, me, me. It's like, yeah, but it is also based off of specific cultures. That, that would be like saying, oh, let's make a Black Panther movie, but let's have a bunch of different races in the tribe. Wouldn't make a lot of sense. And I would call that out. Anyway, Wayward Noodle, what is going on, Wayward Noodle? Thank you for the $10 sus super chat. Sorry, it took me a while. Disney show Echo is coming out. Another show no one wants. Supposedly, Kevin Feige was caught saying it was unreleasable. All six episodes are dropping at once. I suppose to get it over with. I thought that they had delayed that film or had delayed that series indefinitely. That's news to me. I had not heard that they were actually doing Echo. The last I had heard was they had delayed it indefinitely, which many speculated meant it was done. It was donezo. Interesting. I wonder who really wanted that series to get made. <laughs> it must have been someone at the top. Uh, Alice McCarthy, I liked Mission Impossible 2. Limp Biscuit did the main theme for it. Of course you did. Hardwick, is no one asked for this really a good argument? No one asked for a Top Gun sequel either. It uh, isn't what's important whether a movie is good, not whether people wanted it beforehand. But I, I think ultimately, again, I think that's a fair point, Hardwick. But I also think that when you look at what they did with the, with the Top Gun sequel, right? They took the original concept and then they exceeded, right? They took the original concept, they built upon it, I think is a better way of explaining it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to look at the trailer alone for this movie, for the live action remake of Little Mermaid, and for all of the other remakes to say, this is very low-tier effort, right? This is very low-tier effort. You're not building on anything. If anything, they're destroying. They're they're deconstructing. And it's, again, this is kind of the, the age that we live in. We're, we live in the age of the deconstructionist. And it's gotten to the point where it's, it's absurd. But Top Gun, and there's been other films too that have been able to do it, but Top Gun is the one that is especially in mind here, and you brought it up, 
it takes the original concept, uses many of the same themes and even same story elements, but then also builds on it. The fact alone that the first movie has, again, I think very effective, but still clearly fake cockpits. Whereas this one, you have actors in real actual cockpits with new revolutionary uh, filming techniques and experiencing the actual G-forces. Again, it raises it to a whole new level. There's nothing about these live-action remakes that have any indication of that whatsoever. So, let's see. Um, Hardwick says, The Opera House scene of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation is arguably the best scene of the franchise so far. The Hitchcockian suspense buildup, fight choreography, time to the music. Oh yeah, it's, it's, been, it's phenomenal. I think it's the best made of the films. Uh, Carl, just HBO, home box office. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you add the max, I know it's, again, we're so used to it now. And now, people are going to have to be correcting saying, oh, it's just max now. Oh, it's just max. Did your lives matter? <laughs> uh, Peter Parker. I know it's not Richard Parker, but that's all I can think about when I hear the name Parker sometimes. Uh, Peter Parker says, I got my phone stolen over the weekend. What advice would you give or what would you do if you found out where it's located on Find My iPhone app and it's thugs that have it? <laughs> um... Oh, I'm sorry that you lost your phone. Uh, I would say if you're worried about the location, call the police. <laughs> uh, fun story about losing phone, though. I, I lived, some people know this. I, I've mentioned on stream before, but I lived in L.A. Um, for about nine months, I lived in L.A. I was uh, doing an internship there, thought I might pursue a career working in the film industry, uh, working, you know, crew. Uh, in the film industry and nothing really came of it. And so after nine months came back home and did my typical summertime job and tried to figure out my life after that. And eventually I, you know, was called into uh, the vocation of teaching and it's, it's kind of amazing how all that happened. But for nine months I was in, I was in Los Angeles. I was living in LA and I actually lost my phone. I had, uh, I was on my way walking actually to, the shoot that we were going to, that we were working on that day. And one of the other workers, one, one of the other, uh, you know, techies behind the scene saw me. And so stopped and said, Hey, let me, let me drive you the rest of the way. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I, I hop into the car. And once I, once we're on the way, and actually once we get to the place where we're shooting, I realized my phone's gone. It had fallen out when I had been transitioning into the car. It was in my pocket and had just fallen out. Now, this is the back of the day where it was like early form Android. I think it was Android maybe 4.0. I had just gotten a phone. It was like my first smartphone, I want to say. And so I, I didn't know how to do all that stuff. Uh, I, I had to activate an older phone. It was my slider actually I had to up. I had to reactivate. So the one that had the sliding keyboard. Oh, that thing was great. And I had to use something similar to where I could download it onto an app. But ultimately, I was actually able to get in contact with the person that had it and actually go. I went on three or four different buses because that's how I traveled most of the time there. I was taking the bus and I was taking all the transfers and everything. It took me like three or four buses and transfers to get to the location where they were. And I got my phone back. And luckily, it was picked up by a family. And I think that they had been expecting a reward um, and I didn't have any money, so I wasn't able really to give anything. Um, and also there was a language barrier because the the younger girl in the family was the one talking and I don't think anyone else spoke English. 
because I think I think her mom had found it. Anyway, uh, all that is to say, I, I was able to find my phone somehow, and uh, yeah, I am just knowing myself and and how I struggle with situational anxiety. I'm just amazed that I was able to get the willpower to actually go take several buses to get to someone. We of course chose a very public place, and I think that was for both of our sakes. But yeah, you could try that. It may not work out for you, but hey, if I was able to do it in L.A., you never know. Uh, your prediction of what Little Mermaid will make this weekend. Again, based on the numbers that we're seeing, I wouldn't be surprised at 80 to 85. But hey, we won't know until we get some actual real data. Peter Parker, what do you think of Fast 9? We'll talk about that. Thoughts on Jonathan Major cut off promotion for Loki. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Hardwick, uh, Shad Diversity, Shad made a great video called In the Defense of Love at First Sight, in which he explained how Brana's Cinderella portrayed the concept in an unusually deep and meaningful way. I will actually, I haven't even seen the video, but I will say straight up, he is absolutely correct. Because now that I go back and, and think back to that film, it really honestly is one of the best, if not the best live action remake they ever did. And this is coming from someone who's been very much opposed to almost all of them. I think almost all of them have been complete trash and drivel. The live-action Cinderella actually wasn't terrible. wasn't awful. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, the writers from Quantumania were reported fire for Adve- uh, for Avengers. La- I, again, it, it could. I don't know. Um, sorry, I, I'm skipping through your questions because you asked like a thousand. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about that already. Let's see, Hardwick. Did you read the spoilers in my Indy Five? I, I read a couple of them. I didn't read all of them. Um, I did read a couple. I appreciate you putting the spoiler um, in uh, Discord. You can actually cover up the the letters and the words if you're putting spoilers in. And if you want to see them, you click on it and it'll show up and everything. So uh, I, I did that for a couple. And again, everything that I read as far as spoilers and the basic plot points you mentioned, it just seemed like, okay, this is just a generic film that has no reason to exist and is likely not going to bring in any box office because why would anyone want to actually see this? Orange Reviews grabs the whetstone and begins sharpening the axe. I love you, brother. Scott McKenzie, are you coming to Dallas Meetup and Saturday Panel at Fan Expo? Um, yes and no. So I, yes, I'm planning to be in Dallas for the meetup. Um, I finally found out that, uh, shout out to quarterback, uh, quarterback Garrett, uh, who, who texted me while I was in the car uh, heading up to, or heading down to Atlanta for the weekend. He let me know that there was going to be a meetup on, on the Thursday uh, before the Fan Expo. So, yes, I'm going to be trying to drive up sometime Wednesday, and then I'll be there on Thursday. I probably will end up driving back on Saturday. Um, We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I know that all the previous panels that I, or rather, all the previous cons that we've done, the because we've never known how big the panel size is going to be because we didn't know how big the room was going to be, the panels have been very limiting. So I, I would love to go to, 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 to see people and meet people, but I think... Thursday will probably be the day that I do that um, because Saturday is, again, unless unless there's actually a spot on the panel, it, it makes much more sense for me to drive back that day than to wait until the panel. And then because either way, I'm not going to be able to stay in that long until after. Um, so, yeah, looking like I will be only there Thursday and then I'll, I'll maybe be walking the con on Friday. I'm still waiting on a lot of details myself, so. Y'all probably know about as much as I do. Uh, General Wingster, Eric bows to Triton as a sign of respect at the end. That's right. That's right. I knew there was something. Orange Hat, the original cartoon, Eric bows. There it is. 
How dare you, Orange Hat? You broke your own rule. Jonah Wingster, why is Odin obsessed about cockpits? <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Let's go ahead and head back talking about some box office. So it is 8.04. Oh, yeah, we got we got some time. Let's talk about, we'll, we'll do a, a double here. We'll talk about Fast 10 and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Let's talk about both of these films. All right. So just as a bit of a reminder, Fast 10 had a really bad opening weekend domestically, all right? It opened to $67 million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 had a very strong third weekend. Remember that Guardians had a historic, as far as the franchise is concerned, uh, 47% drop or so between its first and second week. So some people thought, hey, well, we didn't expect that, so we're going to have to wait and see. Is it going to adjust? Is it going to have a massive drop-off because it finally has competition, right? A lot of people said, well, it had no competition, so that's why it didn't make a lot, or rather, that's why it didn't have a massive drop-off in its second week. Well, now it does because of Fast 10. Well, that didn't happen. So what does this mean? It means, hey, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has very good word of mouth. Now, me personally, I don't think the film's that great. It's got some good things in it. It's got some of the best things in it that the MCU has had in years, but the movie overall is bloated, it's poorly paced, and is just not really worth the time. It honestly just doesn't just doesn't feel like a film I would ever want to watch again. Very similar to the second movie, uh, in my opinion. But even with those feelings that I have about the movie, guess what? I'm looking at these numbers saying, this is, this is good. This is very, very good for this film. Doesn't mean much for the MCU overall. And why do I say that? Well, let's look at what happened with Quantumania. That film lost money. That was the film setting up the next big bad for their entire franchise. And we saw what happened with that. Not just with the actor playing the villain, but also with the actual box office numbers for that film individually. So not looking very good for the actual franchise overall. But for Guardians, what this tells us is, hey, not a lot of people saw it opening weekend compared to a lot of other movies from the MCU, but, but, hey, People said, oh, I've actually been hearing it's not terrible. It's not a typical bad MCU movie. Let me go see it. So the second weekend they did, and the hold was strong. And that word of mouth seems to have continued on with another 48% hold, right? When you're sub 50 and you are a, especially in this case where you're like a 200 to $250 million film, that's incredible. That's really, really strong. Now, internationally, film also doing pretty well, right? Now, the difference, of course, is that Fast 10's international numbers are a lot stronger. So I would not be surprised if by the end of their run, Fast 10 has a larger international uh, take. In fact, even by next weekend might even have a larger international take, right, in comparison. But let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's go into some dailies. So first, the Monday numbers. Someone mentioned this earlier, right? Fast 10 had a 68% drop from Sunday to Monday, making $5.3 million. Now, again... Those type of drops are very typical of bigger budget films. Guardians of the Galaxy, however, also seeing a 65% drop, made $3.5 million. So the person was mentioning earlier, there's only a couple million dollars difference, really, on these Mondays. And this is the second Monday for Guardians, um, going into its third, yeah, going to its third week, rather. Whereas Fast 10, right, this is the first. So I'm looking at these numbers and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this looks a lot better for Guardians than it does for Fast 10. Okay, let's look at the actual franchise for the Fast and Furious. I mentioned this in my box office breakdown from this past weekend, right? I took the numbers for the Fast, uh, Fast and Furious franchise, and I actually used the, uh, the current modeling for inflation, right? Comparing to the years that the films came out. And I mentioned first, like, let's talk about the Fast 10 budget. Because this is, the, this is I think, going to be the Achilles heel for this movie. 340 
million dollars. $340 million. That is an insanely high budget for a movie about, or for a franchise that has mostly been about cars and family. When you hear about cars and family, you typically don't think about a $340 million movie. And yet they spent that much money on this film. What does that actually mean? So the opening weekend was around $67.5 million for this movie. Using average ticket price, that means the film sold about 6.4 million tickets. In comparison, comparing this, even just a Fast 9, which came out a couple years ago, the adjusted numbers for that movie, $81 million. This film came in almost $20 million underneath that of Fast 9. Fast 9, remind people. I don't know why I said it that way, but Fast 9, remember, came out very early on in the beginning of the box office recovery, right? Remember, 2020 was dead. 2021, it was very, very slow. This was actually one of the first movies that had any real splash internationally during the post-COVID era, was, was Fast 9. And even that was not enough, really, to put that film up with any of the other uh, releases from the past few years, right? We've seen this, this ever-growing decline, and if anything from the pandemic still holds true today, it's that people are a lot more careful with how they spend their money. We've seen that universally with a lot of different movies. Films that typically would have been successes, films that typically would have done well at the box office just by default, even though they were bad, not the same case anymore. We're not seeing the same kind of, of ticket sales in the same way. People are a lot more careful with their money. But what does this mean in the franchise? Well, that means that Fast 10 is the second worst performing domestic opening for the entire franchise. It only beats Tokyo Drift. Now, I have a special place in my heart for Tokyo Drift. I love Tokyo Drift. For all the wrong reasons, I'm sure. But that movie had a $36 million opening, sold 3.6 million tickets opening weekend. All right, again, these are estimates. But still, you're looking at this and thinking, okay, look at the overall tracking, right? 7 million tickets. The second film, because obviously the first film was able to pick up that after that opening and do very well, again, setting up for a franchise. The second movie had a pretty big opening, right? 13.9 million. Second movie, most people are like, eh. Third movie, who knows why they decided to do it when they did, but they decided to make it without the originals. You do have a tie-in at the very end, but the vast majority of it is brand new, right? Brand new characters, brand new story, and you're like, okay. So it makes sense that not a lot of people would have actually wanted to go see it, right? But anyway, 3.6 million tickets. You then go to 9 million, okay, Fast and Furious. They're starting to restart things, start to reboot things. Goes up to 10 million, 11 million, and then you reach its peak, right? Right? The peak of the openings was actually Furious 7. Makes sense, too, because you had the death of Paul Walker. You obviously had a lot of people showing interest in the film for that very reason. So that opened up to 17.4 million tickets being sold. Domestically, opening weekend. Right? $191 million when adjusted. But the movie itself wasn't really all that good. So what do you see after that? You see The Fate of the Furious, the eighth film, dropped down to 11 million 123 million, respectively. You then go to Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff they tried. Not a lot of interest in that. 6.6 million to 72 million dollar opening, and then you get the Fast Nine release in 2021. 6.7 million to 81 million. So what do we see from this? Fast Ten not doing all that well domestically. All right, the second worst performing, right? The second worst performing of the entire franchise, and that's talking about the domestics. Even Deadline, talking about the film internationally, said, okay, it's pacing ahead of certain movies, but it's also not pacing ahead of others, right? As it even says here, talking about the domestic, 4% behind Fast 9. 
So even their unadjusted numbers show the film tracking behind where the pandemic opening of Fast 9 came from. So what does that mean? Not a good look, all right? Some people, they're going to say, but look at the international number, $251 million, $320 million opening. Look where the vast majority of that money came from, China. So internationally, this film could still very much be a pretty big hit and pretty big success, right? We, we've seen the Fast, Fast and Furious franchise has been able to do that consistently, has been able to make a lot of money internationally, has been able to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars, right? It's a billion dollar plus franchise, but they have a lot of reasons to be nervous. They have a lot of reasons to have some concerns because that domestic number needs to be still a solid number. If they're not getting anything, and again, $150 million, $200 million, you're looking at the tops of what this film will probably do domestically. This movie ain't going to do $800 million internationally. I, I just don't see that. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. Who knows? I just don't see it. You add to that, you're going to have a lot of competition coming out over the next few weeks. Not that it's great competition, but still. Options. Options are sometimes a film's uh, worst enemy at the box office. But it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Again, some people are going to overemphasize this and ignore that. Others might overemphasize this and ignore that. It's a mixed bag, as I said in the very beginning, though. All right? You have a very bad domestic opening. That, that's a fact. This is a bad domestic opening weekend. And that's not just, it's really for any franchise movie, for any big, especially a $340 million budgeted movie, that's abysmal. Internationally, it's fine. And that's really the best you can say, is that it's fine. We'll see what the numbers are next weekend, though, right? That second weekend drop-off, always very important, especially when I do my own tracking, right? All of my tracking is very much based off of the two-week performance of the film. But let's just go ahead and talk about this, too, because... The movie needs to make about $850 million to break even. Now, some might have it as up uh, to a billion. I've been saying somewhere between $850 million and a billion dollars is probably the break-even point, right? I think that's a fair uh, range there. As of right now, though, oof, it's got a long way to go. So if it's able to get to what? Maybe because of the international numbers, it's able to get to $400, $500 million dollars by next weekend, by the end of this coming weekend. I don't know if it's going to have enough to get an extra 300 million plus. And that's to hit a minimum break even. All right. I'm even willing to give that much a minimum break even point, let alone a billion. I think a billion's out of the question, but I would even say 850 million might be out of the question too. We'll wait and see. Again, I'll, I'll be a lot more confident in those projections once we actually get the actual data. What I can say with much more confidence, though, since we do have three weeks of data at this point, is Guardians. All right, right now it's at $663 million. Notice the difference, $270 million domestic. The film continues to add it's going to cross $300 million by the end of this weekend, based off of the current projections. So you're looking at a movie, looking at, what, $350 to $400 million domestic by the end of its run? Yeah, on top of that, an international market that's still performing pretty strongly? Okay. As I said from the beginning, I've been saying this for a long time, I think somewhere in the 750 to $850 million range is a very likely scenario. I actually think closer, if you want to know what I am much more leaning to as far as the range goes, eight to $900 million by the end of its run, I think the film could possibly match, if not exceed, potentially. We'll have to see. But I think it could match or exceed that of Black Panther. Now again, for the MCU at large, 
Not a great sign. Not great numbers. For the franchise, though, for, for what we've gotten more recently, I mean, just look at this number in three weeks versus the entire run of Quantum Media. Quantum Mania made $400 million, a little over $400 million in the entirety of its run, setting up the next phase of the MCU with the next major villain with massive marketing campaign, did nothing. All right, this film, very different story. So we can absolutely say Guardians 3 is a huge success financially at this point in time. We'll probably end up bringing in about $100 million for Disney, and that's going to make them happy. Is that the kind of numbers, though, that they want to see? Is that the kind of numbers that they've seen from previous films in the better years? No. So, again, not good for the MCU overall, but still good for this film and good for this franchise. So kudos to them for being able to actually pull that off. Um, I do have up here The Little Mermaid. Again, I am projecting it to have at least cost $200 million, and that's why you see the break-even point here for $500 million. If it is, it could be much more, right? If we find out it was $250 million, oof, again, we, we could end up seeing that film become a major flop. But Guardians doing pretty well. All around the board, we can say strong numbers. Fast 10, okay, a, a decent start internationally, but that domestic is abysmal. That's awful. And Super Mario Brothers movie continuing also to do very well. I did want to mention this at the very end, and then I'll get back and, and finish off with some last-minute uh, comments and questions. But I did want to point this out once again because, hey, a lot of people were talking about this a lot. Japan. It's been updated. $67 million. There may even be a chance that it doesn't get $100 million in Japan. What does that mean? Hey, the film made massive profits huge hit, one of the biggest films, if not the biggest film of the year, like even including whatever is going to be coming in the future. Like I think this has a good chance of being the highest grossing film of the year. Uh, For a $100 million budget, as I mentioned, the profits of this movie alone can fund the next four to six um, movies, just the production budgets alone on those movies. Right? That's huge as far as return on investment. But remember when everyone was saying, oh, just wait until Japan. Just wait until home field advantage. Just wait. Mario is huge in Japan. And what was I saying? The main thing I was saying is, hey, that does not always equate one-to-one to ticket sales. Sure enough, Japan didn't show in the same degree. It's basically performing like a decent Western film release. And that's what we're seeing. South Korea ain't even on the discussion board. I think ultimately, though, as much as the one-to-one comparison also not holding true, one of the bigger reasons, in my own opinion, is delaying the film's release in these countries, I think, was a huge Achilles heel. I think that that, to me, is the bigger reason. Imagine how much bigger. This film could theoretically have been that one... I remember I was saying, this film had the, had the capacity to get to 1.4 to 1.6 billion if it showed up in those countries. It did not. So now we're looking at it being a top 1.3 to $1.4 billion finish. Still great. Still strong. But interesting nonetheless. What say you? All right. Let's head back into the chat. Thank you all again for being here. Abomination over on Odyssey says, It's because of all the cute, whittle, cuddly animals. Yes, I agree. And I admit that in my review, right? I mentioned that, Abomination. I'm like, hey, I have a bias towards certain things in the movie. I think having the cute animals, having the focus on Rocket, that was a good call on their part. It's a very dark call, and I thought that was going to push a lot of people away. I thought the dark elements 
of that story were going to push a lot of people, especially families away. Turns out a lot of people are still showing. A lot of people are still showing. Uh, the Bakersfield gentleman over on Rumble, you didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? No, I didn't. Guardians 1, fantastic. Rewatchable. I've watched that film so many times, I can't even count. The second film, I've rewatched one time because my wife had never seen it. And uh, I have no desire to ever rewatch it again. I feel the same way about 3. Let's see. Uh, Peter Parker. There's no way Little Mermaid will make a billion box office. Too many popular movies back to back. And again, here's the thing, though, all right? Some people might go straight to competition. And though competition can be a factor, a good movie, a movie that's popular, it doesn't matter what film's going up against it. A popular film that's good is going to make money. We're seeing that right now with Guardians. Guardians has very good word of mouth. Even with competition, it's still doing strong. And I suspect we'll see yet another strong weekend from that movie this weekend with two films now to compete. So, yeah, competition can explain certain things. I've, I mentioned competition from time to time, too. I, I did it even earlier today. But it's not the end-all, be-all. That's not going to be the reason why the film doesn't make a billion dollars. It's ultimately going to come down to, is the film any good? Right now, early indications are that it's not. But, again, we'll wait and see. And then also... Does it have any word of mouth? Does it have any good word of mouth whatsoever? And again, we don't have that yet because all we have are critics, and critics really can't be trusted with much of anything. Rob D. Hello, Oda Universal needs to leave Fast and Furious behind and focus on their animated movies since they're beating Disney. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree. I would say, though, the franchise still has shown itself to have life, right? People making $30 million worldwide in your opening is still... It's a sign of life, right? So there are still a plethora of people that enjoy the franchise. We have Alex McCarthy Jr. in the chat right now. Who loves it, right? And there's many, many others like him who love it. Whether it's the cars, whether it's family, whatever it might be. So I would I would say yes and no to that. I think that they should continue it. But imagine if they were able to make the film, but spend even half of what they did on this movie. Now, I don't know if a lot of that money is because of the stars and the paychecks that they're demanding or they're requesting or whatever it might be. But if they were to make a Fast and Furious film for what they were able to make these films for even just a few years ago, then you're talking about, okay, it can do garbage numbers domestically and that would still be fine. But how much money it needs to make at this point is just insane quarterback Barrett. Yes, General Wingster. That's about what I said. Hardwick, did you know there was a massive backlash from feminist critics against Bronis Cinderella when it came out? Their reviews were downright vicious. I'm not surprised. I'm really not. I don't remember that being much of a thing. And again, that kind of goes back to we always hear and talk about certain things when we're in our own bubbles, right? Sometimes we do this, right? All of us can be guilty of this from time to time. That's why it's important to kind of branch out because we can feel, oh, this seems to be the sentiment about this this movie, right? This seems to be the sentiment about X or Y. But then the film comes out, right? Sometimes people get so caught up, right, with the go woke, go broke. And it's like, again, I think usually the vast majority of the time that does hold out to be true. But that's only if the general audiences have some idea or concept. Or at the very least, if the film also happens to be bad because a studio focused too much on those things. Victor Fontaine 
what's going on, man? Look at the difference in theaters between Fast 10 and Guardians. Guardians has 400 more. But here's the trick, though, with that. Number of theaters matters to a certain degree, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Because if, and, and we'll go ahead, I'll, I'll just pull this up on my end. But, so yes, Guardians has 400 more theaters, but the per theater ratio, right? $1,300 per screen for Fast 10, $794 per screen from Guardians. And that was the Monday numbers. So again, it's not necessarily about how many theaters you have. It's, are you filling those theaters? Because you can have 10,000 theaters, but if you're only filling them at a certain percentage, it could end up still having the same result. So it's about what you do with the theaters you have, not about the theaters themselves, right? The per theater ratio is usually a, a good thing to look at because it can show signs. For instance, that's one of the things that has shown us that there's been some decent uh, people as far as the willpower of certain people keeping a movie like Nefarious in theaters. If you look at its per theater ratio, comparing it to other bigger releases, down the stretch, right? It's actually been able to have a better per theater ratio than a lot of other uh, bigger films. So yeah, it, it's again, what you do with it. It's like, it's that old adage, right? It's not the size that counts, it's what you do with it. It's the same thing with the number of theaters too. It does help, because obviously more theaters means more more show times, which means more, you know, more money, but that's only if you're filling in more people in those in those places. John Evan Bear, what's going on? Yeah, seriously, it's insane how much they spent. Dan Blackroyd, what is going on? Thank you very much for being here. Uh, Hardwick says, I'm glad that the 20-minute uh, 1940s prologue in Indy 5 is a complete little story with a happy ending. I might fan edit it into a short film after it's on Blu-ray. Nice. I mean, they very well might do that themselves. It would probably be more successful. Romney says, Japan is irrelevant box office-wise, if you ask me now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for any film, typically it's, it's not that important. But I mention it simply because, again, people were mentioning it every single day. The, the, go back and watch my early coverage of the Mario box office and how many people were like, this is without Japan, just you wait. I've waited, and I, I'm still waiting. Orange Chat, I think you will find Little Mermaid is more around $300 million. Uh, just don't, Just don't ask why. I'm kind of curious with that. <laughs> if you mean for its budget, um, that would be interesting. Just another red shirt. Hail, what's going on? Yeah, better late than never, I guess. Hardwick, did you see the fan? Uh, the, did you see the new Dead Reckoning trailer? If so, what do you think of it? I haven't yet, actually. I'm glad it finally got a proper. Wait, no, I have seen it. I've seen a movie recently where it was playing. Oh man. So uh, for those that don't know, I haven't. I I didn't do much of an update. With, with my life. So we just finished exams today. So tomorrow's like the makeup day for anyone who, who missed it. I don't have anybody who has to make it up. Woo. Okay. Um, and so that means that I'm essentially done with school. Now we still have meetings this week is that that's, you know, it's kind of the nature. If you're a teacher, you know, <laughs> you know what it is to have an in-service. Sometimes you have professional development, you know, they always want to hold on to you just for a little bit longer. So, but after this week, I'll be done for the summer. And so that means uh, the money, the movie streams, sorry, not the movie streams, the morning streams are going to be returning. Uh, I'm going to put a poll up in the community tab 
in the next over the next hour or two I'll, I'll, I'm gonna try and put it up and it's gonna be asking for those who are able to see or to watch a stream because I know that there are people watching from different parts of the world sometimes but uh, what time would work best for people so don't answer it now I'll, I'll again I'll ask this in a more formal poll on the community tab on the YouTube channel um, so if you're watching on other platform if you want to have a voice in that unfortunately that's the only place where <laughs> the, the the poll will be because that's where the most people um, who watch and follow it will will find it, but it's basically it's going to ask, you know, what time frame would work best? So I think it's going to start as early as like 9 a.m. Eastern time as a starting time. So it'll be from either 9 to 10, from 10 to 11, and maybe 11 to 12. Like those would be like the three options. Uh, but any, all of it would be before noon Eastern time because uh, I know that that time sometimes does work for people in different parts of the air, you know, different parts of the world. Uh, even different people in different parts of the country with different jobs sometimes they're able to listen at that time. But right now, that those are the times I'm looking at because that gives me enough time to help out in the mornings, get baby Thor to daycare, to, to, uh, to daycare if I need to, and also uh, to do you know yard work and stuff like that. But I'm looking at maybe three days, three mornings a week. So two of them would be the Good Morning Asgard podcast, so that'll be returning. And then one of them, finally, I'll be returning to... <laughs> The, the seemingly defunct channel, which is the OMB Report. And uh, so we'll, we'll be bringing that stream back too. Um, so if you're a fan of one or both of those, you'll, you'll be voting on time for, for all of the morning streams. So anyway, I did want to mention that. School's out for summer. I did have a student yell, uh, school's out <laughs> when, the, when the bell rang today. So that was fun. All right. Let's see. Rob D. Little Mermaid budget, $600 million. Can you imagine? No, I really can't. I really can't because I look at, again, I look at the visual effects. I think, okay, I know they spent a lot of money on it. I don't know why they spent as much money as they did, but there's no way they're spending as much or more than James Cameron on Avatar. Uh, Victor Fontaine says, I just thought it was strange that the new release had less theaters than the movie that was on its third weekend. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, especially it's odd. Well, Here's the thing. I think it also comes down to distributor because the distributor is going to have individuals working on their behalf who are making the deals and are setting up and scheduling these shows. Disney, we all know, is a very powerful force, right? E even though we're, we're seeing the downfall of Disney and it's glorious to see, they are still a very powerful force. So it doesn't surprise me that they have a 400 extra screens whereas Universal doesn't have those screens, for one. I would be interested to see how many of those, you know, what, what those screens are and, and why they have access to it. But I, I, again, I think it comes down to Disney, usually to get a movie into your theater. Disney has the most restrictions or the most requests. I remember when I was working at AMC, that was one of the things that, that I actually, uh, that I picked up very quickly. And I learned it because of Disney. Now, other studios do this too, but Disney is the hardest hand. And I, I've mentioned this on previous streams, but I'll mention it again because I think it's important. If you ever wonder why is there only a 3D showing of a movie at 6 p.m. and that's a, a prime time slot and it's the only one available, it's because Disney made it that way. So when Disney is renting out their, their movie to be shown in theaters, they ensure that they have as many primetime slots as they possibly can. They want to make sure, especially if there's a 3D version of their film, that gets 
uh, a slot that's going to do well because they obviously want you to pay more money for a film that does not need to be seen in 3D. And it's important to know this because that is the only way a theater can actually get access to it. So it could be that Guardians has 3D showings. And so those extra 400 screens across the entire country are all 3D showings. Whereas Fast 10 doesn't have a 3D release, and so therefore those are not 3D showings. So Fast 10 takes over the IMAX, but Guardians might still have um, might still have the showings in other formats. And those forwarded screens are ones that are specifically geared or tailored towards the kind of release that it is. That would be my that would be my best guess. Uh, that would be my best guess. Uh, Victor Fontaine, did you see the trailer for the sci-fi movie The Creator? I thought it looked very good. I have not. General Winkster, for suffering this weekend, here is some Nicolas Cage to brighten your day. <laughs> Dan Blackroyd, would it shock you if The Little Mermaid isn't the worst movie with Halle Bailey this year? If you haven't seen the trailer for The Color Purple, all I can say is wow about that one. I, I, I don't even think I had ever uh, registered that they are remaking The Color Purple again the number one question why are you doing this who asked for this I, I mean the color purple the original I haven't seen it but I know that it was what an award winning film uh, Spielberg did it right <sighs> so silly Hardwick I've seen the trailer for the creator but I don't like it I agree with Bounding in the comics take on it I haven't seen it yeah I haven't seen it uh, Carl morning anytime it's hard for me I'll have to catch it after old age my friend no problem at all man yeah. No problem at all. Matt R. Everybody's streaming at the same time. Well, I've always... So, I always like to say, well, I've been streaming at this time slot from 7 to 8.30 Eastern Time for years. On Tuesdays and Saturdays. A lot of other people are streaming right now who I know as a fact either didn't exist or weren't streaming at these times previously. So, I apologize if you're having a multi-stream issue, but... I didn't I, I didn't choose that. Uh, Joseph Redshirt, I remember the sense of disbelief at the end of each school year. It seemed like it would never end right up until it did. Yeah, I'm, that's why it's kind of amazing as a teacher because you're seeing that experienced every single year. And it, it's just, it's again, it's, it's a fascinating thing because you're staying in the same place, but the kids are changing and the world is changing. And so you're seeing it through their eyes. And that's why there's a lot of stuff to, to be concerned with, right? I'm working so I won't be able to catch you. Says Kimberly. That's, that's, again, no problem. Uh, Matt R. Hail to you. Again, thanks for thanks for being here. Master Gaming. Odin, will you review Kandahar? I don't really have an interest. I know it's a Gerard Butler film, but I just don't care for it. I don't know. Gerard, Gerard Butler isn't the person that I really want to go see movies for. That that sounds... Everything about the film sounds like a... This should have probably been direct to streaming. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Liam Neeson films where it's like... Does this film really need to be out right now? Uh, General Wingster, Ode is innocent. Blame the others for they be sinning. <laughs> I'm definitely innocent of it. So, Joseph Register says, dinner time. Yeah, and it is time for my ice cream. Uh, Abomination, though, 
wants to clarify and fact check me says false the first person to stream at this time was Jennifer Lawrence and everybody knows it that is a fact and that's a great comment to end on so thank you everybody for joining me tonight uh, we talked again about Fast 10's box office Lord Mermaid's box office and Guardians of the Galaxy hopefully you learned something or you had some fun along the way and if you did please smash the like button like the fire button Aussie smash the rumble button as well and share the stream with your friends who you think might enjoy it after the fact uh, hopefully all of you have a wonderful rest of your evening again uh, stay tuned for the community post I will put out a poll on uh, what time would work best for y'all in the mornings I definitely do not want to go up against the geeks and gamers morning show uh, morning stream I don't want to have anybody who does watch that stream to have to go between two places um, but I obviously want to also stream at a time that is best for the people who are going to be here and are going to be able to watch it and, uh, you know, have conversations. So I'm looking at, again, 9 a.m. Eastern time, uh, 9 to 10, 10 to 11 or 11, 12. And again, one of those times I, I figure um, will probably work. Again, that's the time frame that works best for me, that 9 to 12. But I will let y'all have a say in that. So anyway, you guys are all amazing and beautiful people. Time for me to go get some ice cream. And as always, oh, by the way, I will, I will be on Friday Night Tice this week, finally. Will not have a conflict, which is great. Um, I'm wondering if the public scolding is going to continue, because uh, <laughs> that's what it's been. But we'll, we'll see. So I'll see you on Friday Night Tights. We'll have a show on Saturday. Um, I'm also still trying to figure out, so if you are a part of The Chosen, I'm still trying to figure out a time. And again, I'm sorry if for any reason we're not able to get to it this month. I know that that rarely happens, but sometimes it does. Um, I will try to... Uh, to get that scheduled either for um, sometime this week or weekend. And if not, then uh, sometime next next couple weeks. And I'll keep y'all posted. So stay uh, stay posted on the Discord server. You guys are all amazing and beautiful people. You're wonderful for the rest of your day. And as always, God bless. And now for a huge special shout out to all of my patrons at the Keeper of the Bifrost level and above. Starting off with my patrons over on Patreon, Father Luca Illich. Hymir Irie Hymason, Garrett Searles, Joe Horn, Jonathan Carney, Orange Chat Reviews, you can check out over at his YouTube channel, Orange Chat Reviews, Laura, the Modern Major General Story, Rosetta Allen, who you can check out at her YouTube channel of Eagle Rider, and Miss Martin Muses, who you can check out at her YouTube channel by the same name as well. Also to my subscribe star peeps, Matt317, check him out over on Twitch, Fast Reaction, The R, Mr. Roy, J-Rod, The Beer Guru, and Zkman, Zkman, you can check out over at xtheboundaries.co. And lastly, to my local supporters, Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, How About a Hockey Player, J.H. Schwalbach, and Robert Barnes, The Amazing Lawyer. Thank y'all very much for supporting me at that Keep of the Bifrost level and above. And if you want your name shout out at the end of every video and live stream, make sure to check out the top link in the video description in order to get access to that. Also, there's a level where you get access to an exclusive podcast that I do with my friend, John the Flippick Flickinger, and also to a giveaways channel on my Discord where you get access to the giveaways of various 4K titles, including right now I've got a 4K uh, steelbook for Training Day. I got the Seventh Seal from Criterion, Plane Trains, Automobiles, Kubo and the Two Strings, They Live, Train to Busan, tons of others every single week, uh, every single month, rather every single, yeah, every single week. I'm going to stick by that. We're doing this live. I just recently gave away the three steelbook collection for John Wick franchise, the amazing stash book collection version. So if you want to have access to various things like that, hey, check out that top link in the video description below. You're all amazing and beautiful people. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, God bless.